Hey, Carl and Richard here. As you may have heard, NDC is back, offering their incredible in-person conferences around the world. And we'd like to tell you about them. NDC Security Oslo has been rescheduled to April 3rd through the 6th. Go to ndc-security.com to register. NDC London has been rescheduled to May 8th through the 12th. Go to ndc-london.com to register. NDC Copenhagen is March 14th through the 17th. Go to ndccopenhagen.com to register. NDC Porto is happening April 24th through the 28th. Go to ndcporto.com to register. NDC Minnesota is happening September 27th through the 30th. Go to ndcminnesota.com to register. Check out the full lineup of conferences at ndcconferences.com. Hey, guess what? It's Carl Franklin. This is Richard Campbell. And it's .NET Rocks, and we're back. And this is our 20th anniversary of .NET Rocks Month and the 25th anniversary of Visual Studio. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, uh, Julie Lucen is here. But before we get to that, Mr. Campbell, how are you? I'm. Things are good, plunking along, you know. Uh, it's the, the winter sort of let off its griff in the Pacific Northwest. It just turned to rain, and we know how to do rain. You guys do rain very well. Well, we, we're experts at rain. Admittedly, even BC got too much rain at one point this in November where yeah. things flooded. And but, sushi uh, in the rain, even better. Yeah, yeah, we do a lot of that too. Sushi, magic mushrooms, and rain. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, this is the home and of bears. psilocybin, for better or worse. And, and lots bears. of bears. The, the bears are out early this year. I have bear video from January. Have the otters come back or are they still hibernating? The otters are, yeah, the otters have reappeared. So oh, okay. after the storms and things where we didn't see otters for a while, now they're back and they are we, strategically I, I pooping on the coast. I yeah, I can't tell you what's going on on the East Coast except the squirrels. You know, we have squirrels. <laughs> my One of my daughters found a book that I had on outsmarting the squirrels for bird feeders. I've mm-hmm. had every manner of, you know, twirl a squirrel, bird feeders, and and trebuchets and yeah yeah i would recommend and, a cairn terrier they're remarkably <laughs> effective <laughs> actually exactly. what i do is when i see the squirrels going up the bird feeder i run outside and they go <laughs> and they take off but then they come see? back an hour later yeah you do that with a cairn terrier well the cairn terrier does that they're not coming back for a long time well only if they yeah only if you catch them the squirrels bug out pretty fast right All right. Well, that's enough of that. Let's get started with Better Know a Framework. Awesome. All right, man. What do you got? All right. So uh, my friend and AppVNext Next co, uh, shall we say, co-developer, Brian McKay, has Mm -hmm. created this really cool uh, tool on GitHub called weighted selector interesting what's a weighted selector well weighted selector.net is a .NET standard 2 project that lets you assign weights to a set of choices and then makes decisions based on each choice's proportion of the total weight oh okay so it's useful for scenarios where choices are made based on complicated but quantifiable factors or where you need to choose between a number of reasonable choices in a way that appears semi-random uh, good examples uh, of that latter case include suggestion engines and game AI. Cool. So it, yeah. yeah, 
Yeah, it's easy to pick up, fun to use. In one of the examples, they implement a game AI that decides between attacking, fleeing, and casting a heal spell based on a dynamic fear factor in six lines of code. <laughs> you know, Brian is one of these geniuses that just, he's a generalist and he's into everything. And he's always on the cutting edge of stuff that's happening. So I, I, I love following his code and the things that he, he he's working on. So yeah, check it out. And awesome. because this is episode 1780, you can go to 1780.plop.me and that'll take you right to his repo. Yeah. So that's what I got. Who's talking to us, Richard? Grabbed a comment off the show 1421. You may remember it. It's from March of 2017 when we talked to Julia Lucen about yeah. the 20 years of Visual Studio. That's right. So oddly enough, five years ago, since it's 25 years, mm -hmm. and this comment comes from Anish Karki, and admittedly from five years ago, where he says, I love this episode. Visual Studio is a work of art. And to me, as a WPF developer, Visual Studio is a constant source of inspiration. I've been using it since 2010. So at that point, I'd been using it for five years. And it was amazing listening to how the app came to be from someone who led the team and built it. Thanks, guys. And thank you, Julia, for the episode since Studio 2015. I've been using uh, Visual Studio for SSMS, the database, data side of things for those related tests. And I'm loving that, especially with a the dark theme, the ability to pin tabs and the VS Vim extension. And, uh, oh, you guys didn't talk a thing about the WPF live visual tree debugging, which, yeah, you're right. <laughs> we did not. Talk. And at five years on, all of those features have come so far, too. You know, I should really drag Dimitri Lee Allen in to talk about that. Yeah. So, Anish, thank you so much for your comment. Surprise. Uh, I read it several years after you posted it, and a copy of Music to Code By is on its way to you. And if you'd like a copy of Music to Code By, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or on Facebook because we publish every show there. And if you comment there and I read it on the show, we'll send you a copy of Music to Code By. And definitely follow us on Twitter. He's at Rich Campbell. I'm at Carl Franklin. Send us a tweet and definitely wait at 1.0. <laughs> so it comes up every time. It comes up every time. Fortunately, you don't have to worry about those things with Twitter, but, you know, it's just a yeah. joke. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So let us introduce our esteemed guest, uh, Julia Lucen. As president of Microsoft's DevDiv, that's developer division, Julia Lucen leads the technical and business strategy, product development, and engineering teams for Visual Studio, Visual Studio Code, all Microsoft programming languages, and runtime that's .NET, C Sharp, TypeScript, OpenJDK, C++, Python, and more. Uh, Azure DevOps, Azure SDKs, and Azure Application Development Platform as a Service and Serverless Offerings. In other words, she runs it, ladies and gentlemen. She the boss. She the boss. <laughs> Julia Lucen, welcome back to .NET Rocks. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's great to have you back. And thanks so much for all you do. You know, we left GitHub off the equation now because oh, yeah. I think you they GitHub CEO reports up to you as well. That's right. That's one of the more recent changes. Oh, my goodness. I, I don't even know what that looks like yet. I mean, I, mean, I just got used to Nat Friedman being over there. And now it's yeah. is it Thomas Demke. Is that the right name? It's Thomas. Yeah. Thomas. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for Visual Studio. I mean, wow. It's it just keeps getting better and better. Yeah, pretty sure it bought me a house. Yeah. We, you know, as uh, Visual Studio, ah. I think we released a new version last November, also with the new .NET, you know, .NET 6. 
Uh, it was one of our major releases. And uh, the last, this particular release is our 64-bit release, as you might have heard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Really put even more performance improvements and make sure that everything runs faster, which is one of the core expectations I have with the team. That's the same expectation also goes for .NET and other part of the team. Every release needs to be faster than the previous one. I also have to say the stability and even in the preview bits like Visual Studio 2022 preview, um, I just got, you know, the Maui, the latest Maui preview 12. So the latest Visual Studio that just came out, well, as of this recording in the last week or so, and just fired things up and everything just runs. And, you know, this is preview and it feels so slick. It feels, it feels like it's not preview and, uh, just it, it's it's a pleasure to use. Thank you. And the team does such a great job. So I will absolutely pass on the compliments to the team. They do such a great work. Please do. How many bits inside of Visual Studio today are from 25 years ago? Uh, quite a bit from a co-based perspective. Wow. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> uh, and because last year when the team was trying to move from 32-bit to 64-bit, we literally had to go touch just about everything, right? Mm. Oh, yeah. So uh, went through the entire code base and, you know, fund, you know, things that we haven't touched for many years. It was just capabilities that kept working, and then we have to go move it forward. Yeah. Um, so uh, it's uh, surprising how much, how enduring uh, some of the core code bases are, particularly in the IDE part. And obviously with Roslyn, we have completely written the code base. So, you know, that part is not the same, but a lot of the core IDE capabilities, while we keep renovating it, but there's still a lot of, you know, things from way old, way back then. So that means calm too, right? Like that means still quite a bit of calm still inside of Visual Studio. On a scale of one to 10, how much do you love calm? (laughs) Um, uh, Maybe zero. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that Dom Box that said calm is love? Yes. Well, you know, that's when calm enabled things that weren't able, you weren't able to do. I I think one of the things I told you in our last episode, and I might got my memory wrong, but, you know, like when we were building Visual Studio.net, that's what it was called way back then, with the .NET Mm -hmm. at the same time, one of the interesting challenges we go through is this whole integration process where the .NET framework and runtime give us a brand new drop. Uh, and then, you know, you have to go change the compilers and change the code base and make sure it runs on top of it. And we can only right. do that one time. Basically, it was breaking changes. We can only absorb one, one such a massive change once a month. So literally, our shipping schedule was decided by how many breaking changes were. And then there's a core working group that kind of works through this integration. And it's called VS Com Love. What's it was the alias name? <laughs> yeah. But and you, so you yeah. saw that you only had one breaking one round of breaking changes per iteration, but like once a month was the limit. Well, because you know a breaking change in Calm, what it meant is that often they don't have a compiler that works anymore. Right. Like, yeah. They go update yeah. the Rosin, the, not a Rosin, the C the C sharp compiler back then, so they can right. compile the test code. And once they pass all of their own test code, then you have to make sure the framework code keep working with all of the breaking changes. Then you can put Visual Studio, which is built on top of framework kind of like, you know, relayer and make sure like all of, there's like not introducing new issues and make sure like the end-to-end scenario is still working for most of scenarios. So it kind of, when I say breaking changes, it really is breaking. 
Yeah, yeah. No, they, and I get the sense of you're rebuilding the building from inside the building. Like it's uh, that's crazy. Yeah. It is. It's the change. You know, you you fly the you fly the airplane. You keep changing the engine. It's kind of how yeah. Well, still flying because yeah. it, you know the you're building the tools you use to build the tools. Mm. Yeah. And we keep like, you know, redigging the foundation, but while we keep the building stable. So it was, it was a very tricky project. And it, well, that's why it took us a very long time to release the original and the visual studio release on top of .NET um, 20 years ago. Yeah. I mean, to me, the biggest proof that Visual Studio is different now is that we have this constant stream of updates, the quarterly updates now. and it's not a big deal. Like you just sort of install those bits and keep going and play with a new feature if you're interested. Like you, you just don't think about it anymore. That's right. And that's uh, that's also enormous amount of work the team has done. Uh, you know, around 2014-ish timeframe, because mm-hmm. if you think about it, like, you know, you have to go change. We, we actually implement a componentization strategy so we can only update the pieces that has changed that require us to rebuild our entire build system right uh, in a componentized way and today when you hear a lot of companies talking about they want to take their monoliths and turn them into microservices it's roughly the same idea because you only want to update those component you know like in the cloud work it will be called a microservice that actually changed right and you need to have a deployment infrastructure that allows you to do that so those are all things we end up rebuilding you know the entire code base based on and not to mention how a developer work because in the old days when you ship once every three years the mentality and your schedule and how you do things are very very different when you're mm-hmm. on the shipping train because you want to make sure everything you're checking are continuously to be high quality you're always in that near shipping kind of state versus you, you check in a lot of new capabilities and everything breaks and you spend you know a long time fixing bugs putting the whole thing back together that's kind of the old waterfall development style and that's just not what we do anymore well, that's just, the side effect of 25 years is like you originally shipped this stuff on three and it finished floppies and then you shipped it on CDs and then you shipped it on DVDs. And now, you know, it's on the cloud, you know, it's on the cloud and we monitor, you know, we monitor CDN outages and stuff because that's, you know, that's when we realized like, wait, you know, developers in some geos are not getting their bits and they're upset. And that's because some CDN is down. So we're very, right. we're very, a very much a service operation. Is, yeah, yeah. is Visual Studio a Win32 application, a WPF application, a Windows Forms application? What is it essentially? Uh, yes, to all of the things you just said. <laughs> wow. Although the big thing about 2022 is this is the 64-bit edition of, of Studio. At it, it was a long so you have WPF no, in there? Win64, I guess. It's still a core Windows application. Yeah. So so wait a minute. What do you mean by everything? Is it is it at core a WPF application? The uh, the outer Chrome is mostly WPF, but there's absolutely a component that's built with WinForm as well. Wow. So the WinForm designer itself is built in WinForm. So sure. <laughs> It'd be weird to build the WinForm designer in WPF. That would be strange. Well, I'm <laughs> I'm just wondering if it's, you know, like written in C and old school Microsoft and I remember the early versions were. Uh it yes, it has C and it has C sharp. It has both of them in there. So you got a little of everything. This is a, a polyglot application. It is a polyglot application. And, you know, obviously when you're running the C++ workload, you have, you know, quite a few things. Of course. Run. And then you can also run Python workload in there. So then, yeah. you know, you want to run in Python. 
So it is absolutely a polyglot. Yeah. It's really kind of a unique application in that regard, isn't it? I mean, I don't know too many other Windows applications that are written using so many different uh, programming technologies. Uh, I... I know you couldn't comment on other people's applications, but, yeah, but no, I don't know. It, it seems unique to me. I think that a lot of the big applications that evolved over the years that existed in the market for that long probably have very similar characteristics. I, yeah, I don't know how you have a 25-year-old app that doesn't have many generations of tooling applied to it. Yeah. Well, I wonder like what the Adobe applications are written with, you know, if they're sort of C++ based. Uh, you know, I can't imagine. I don't know. The way they crash, I don't know. Somebody rolled their face on the keyboard. Oh, I can't come on, dude. You know, they crashed <laughs> in the 90s. They're really good now. <laughs> That's true. And, it, you know, I, uh, I still love Audition 3, but clearly I have Stockholm Syndrome. Yes, you do. Yes. <laughs> the, the newer the versions are better. Newer versions are much better. But it, But therein lies the issue. Any long-lived app, eventually the tools you built it with don't even exist anymore. Like, right. you do need to move you on. You have to move forward. I, I look at um, PreSonus, which is sort of an answer to Pro Tools, which is the sort of the longstanding de facto audio, uh, digital audio workstation. Um, these guys came along and they wrote an application for Windows and for Mac, and they're almost identical looking. And I don't know how they did it, but they're native applications. Like they must have done it the hard way and just said, okay, here's our Windows team, here's our Mac team. You know, we have shared UI and, you know, they're not using any kind of um, what you might call it, Xamarin kind of tools to do, you know, cross-platform stuff. They're, they're native applications in their own right and, and working at the, at the low level, at the metal. Well, if you look at, you know, if you think about how Microsoft Office built their Mac version, their Windows version, you know, like, you know, the, the most from, you know, from back then, the most shareable libraries are actually C libraries, C and C++ right. libraries. Yeah. And a lot of the core tech is shared in C, C++. Yeah. And it also tends to be like, you know, some of those core logic are also shared in your mobile application because, you know, whether you're iOS or Android, you can always um, take a core C, C++ library. Yeah. So in some ways, C++ also is the most portable code. You're, you know, you're absolutely right. And C is the most portable of all. I mean, C was meant to compile on every platform. So a lot of, I know a lot of older generation application, that was the particular path that they went down, right? And then a variation of that going, you know, like sort of in, in the last few years was kind of React Native, which is really, you know, a layer on top of the underlying, you know, core OS sure. implementation. Yeah. Uh, and then you're trying to use JavaScript to go put a UI together, you know, et cetera. So I think that people are starting to create abstractions. When, but when you think about two separation for two different versions, like Visual Studio for Mac doesn't really have a lot in common with Visual Studio for Windows, right? That's Isn't that really an origin in the mono develop and then evolved into more studio-like over time? Yeah, so VS for Mac absolutely had its you know, original roots in, in mono develop. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think that in the last couple of years, we have done pretty significant work to significantly increase what we call co-sharing between right. you know, Visual Studio on Windows and Visual Studio on Mac. And particularly now, giving that, you know, like uh, 
not you know, with .NET Core, we have the ability to go write C, you know, C sharp code once, and it can run on both operating systems. That's just efficiency for your team that write once runs on both platforms. It will, yeah, it's increased efficiency and you know, increased, you know, make sure the user experience is much more consistent. It just has many benefits. So, and I think that, you know, the other thing that we have done with VS for Mac is that the UI framework, the way the UI was done for VS Mac originally was through a, another, I forgot the name, another sort of abstraction layer. And then we decided to write to the Mac UI directly to really just get better performance. You know, it's kind of a feel like much more native VS for Mac feeling. Mm-hmm. But then the core capability of it, and the, clearly when you use the, the C sharp compiler, it's going to be, it's the Roslyn compiler. We're not it's one the, compiler, yeah. yeah. On the Mac, right? Yeah. So more and more over time, you can try and make that common code base larger and larger. Absolutely. How far out do you look when you think about something like Studio? Like how many versions are outlined? In terms of like roadmap planning? Yeah. Well, you know, we actually, I honestly, I don't think more than one version ahead. Mm-hmm. And partly because of exactly what you, you know, talk about. One of the very common questions I get asked all the time is that since you have the ability to keep modifying the product as, you know, in, like put new features, like why do you even need a new version? Right. Why have version numbers at all? New language features, new platform features. Uh, we can, new language feature and platform feature we can introduce all the time. Yeah. Actually, it's for really, for really gigantic shifts, like, you know, a 32-bit to a 64-bit. Like mm-hmm. that, you don't want to go do in a, you know, like an incremental on the mm-hmm. same version. Uh, if we want to sunset some platform support, that actually is also important to do that mm-hmm. with a clear boundary so people understand what the support contracts are. And if we want to do any significant UI changes, that will be another, like, you don't want to your UI for your product also is like, wait, I just got right. an update. Like, what happened? But compiler capabilities and and those old things tends can you can actually you know keep shipping them and that's not um, as big a deal. I mean, adding a new feature shouldn't impact anything that's already come before. So just slip exactly. it in if they want to use it, they use it. But as soon as as soon as you demand attention from a developer to we've moved something, something's behavior has changed, anything like that, I guess the version number becomes a cue to say you should look carefully. That's right. Particularly, you know, like we obviously we're as we're adding new capability, we are changing the UI, but those are. In, in the grand scheme of simple minor changes, if I'm doing a significant change of the UI, complete revamp, when I go change the, you know, change the colors of the icon or the look or have it, you know, some of these things where you don't want, you want it to be a more deliberate choice. Uh, and then, you know, the, the visual cues is a, is a clear indicator that this is a newer version. But what I have noticed is that with every new version of .NET, the Visual Studio version installs that new version of .NET, right? So whereas before I might have used 2019 and I had I had to install this .NET and that .NET and this .NET, whatever. Now I go to Visual Studio 2022 um, and I get .NET 6. And so I'm expecting that in Visual Studio 2023, I just update that and I get, I'll get .NET 7. You know, I, I, I guess so you're having at least one major revision every year based on the .NET uh, version, right? Uh, so .NET is released. So we have a commitment that our .NET is released every, we have a new version coming out every year. Yeah. It's, on, it's on a regular train. Um, and then I don't believe we'll have a new Visual Studio version next November. Oh, we'll just, okay. 
have to go carry. Kind of like what we did with the the previous with 2019. You carried. Sure. Yeah. So when the new .NET version comes out, you know, you will have an update to you'll be okay. you know a particular update version of a 2019. I, call me Pavlov's dog. Then I got conditioned with Visual <laughs> Studio 22 being .NET six. They just happened to coincide. Yeah, because in 2019 we were at Core two two. Right. Core three shipped later in the year in 2019. And we got and all the way up to core months. five. Yeah. Now yeah. we have you know, done it five. And so, yeah. So we shipped on at five with uh, 2019. All right. So don't expect a new visual studio with every new version of .NET. Although with the quarterly updates to studio, you usually also push to the new bits as in general. Well, you get a new quarter, but not a new like year, <laughs> right? Yeah. You yeah, get a new version was- number, but not a new, uh, not necessarily 2023 or 2024. Yeah, we will get update one, update two, update three, update yeah, four, yeah. you know, new update number. And I actually appreciate that. That's good. And folks, I'm going to break for one moment for this very important message. You know, time is of the essence when identifying and resolving issues in your software. And our friends at Raygun are here to help. Their brand new alerting feature is now available for crash reporting and real user monitoring to make sure you're quickly notified of the errors, crashes, and front-end performance issues that matter most to you and your business. Set thresholds for your alert based on an increase in error count, a spike in load time, or new issues introduced in the latest deployment, along with custom filters that give you even greater control. Assign multiple users to ensure the right team members are notified with alerts linked directly to the issue in Raygun, taking you to the root cause faster. Never miss another mission-critical issue in your software again. Try Raygun Alerting today and create a world-class issue resolution workflow that gives you and your customers peace of mind. Visit raygun.com to learn more. Their simple usage-based plans start from as little as $4 per month with unlimited apps and users. That's raygun.com to start your free 14-day trial. And we're back. It's .NET Rocks. I'm Richard Campbell. That's Carl Franklin. Hey, hey. And we're talking to Microsoft President Julia Lucen. Uh, you, I mean, I would talk to you about Studio because I know you've worked on Studio since the very beginning of it. But uh, but you're responsible for so much more. I mean, all of the languages. Like I, I feel like we don't give enough love to F Sharp. We do a show on F Sharp once in a while, but we tend to talk about C Sharp around here most of the time. How do how do you interact with all of these different pieces? Like you're so fluent in what's going on inside a studio. Can I dig into every one of these different things you're responsible for in that kind of depth? Uh, some pieces I know more because I know the history of it better. Right. But you're welcome to dig into most of them. That's well, amazing. I mean, you 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 must pick briefings all the time. It's so many products. Well, I think that this is, you know, I have been with developer division for a long time. So some mm-hmm. of these, you know, many of these pieces were built even not by my team, but by a sister team that I interacted with a lot. Right. So I, I, I think I'm very lucky that, you know, I witnessed the, you know, the, the, the burst of many of these technologies uh, around me. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, the, the, it is unusual. It's interesting to me, looking back again, very much in the history that most of the history of Microsoft, they made great versions of existing languages you have a definitive version of c++ you have uh they you know a lot of people count on you've made a great version of java back in the 90s till various things happened that became (laughs) a problem but c sharp was the sort of break like you made your own language from scratch 
What do you remember of that whole decision-making process and why to go that way? I think that, you know, like at the time it was, uh, there was two primary languages Microsoft had was Visual Basic and C++. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, the, if you look at the capabilities, C++, obviously you can use that to go develop anything, but not easily. And then with Visual Basic, you know, it's very easy to build a Windows application with Visual Basic. But I think that in that particular era, if you remember, it's the, 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 the 2000, right? 2000, 2001, 2002. Right. There's so much, uh, client server development, you know, enterprise become a thing where I think, you know, Visual Basic was very desktop oriented. Yes. So there's really a push about thinking about what is a good client server and you know, object oriented language that's much, much easier to develop against compared to C++. Uh, but it's more, much more capable than Visual Basic. And that was actually, if you think about a lot of the core capabilities that went into .NET, whether, you know, we put in, you know, like uh, Windows Form was a thing, we put ASP.NET. It's really thinking about, you know, like sort of like how do you develop server application, how do you develop web applications in a much more easier, you know, sort of a, a, a easier way than C++. That's why it, I think was the impetus for C Sharp to be, um, to be developed. I feel like C Sharp was a really nice, well-forged alloy between the best features of Visual Basic and Java and C++, right? I, I agree. And I think that we're incredibly lucky to have Anders Heilsberg. Anders, uh, Anders <laughs> is the man. Like, Anders, if you, know, if you we talk about, you know, like, a, I think that he is, he is probably the only language designer in the industry who has done a hat trick. Mm. He has he has created three pro, three languages that has over millions of users. Yeah, yeah, right. With the Delphi, then there's C Sharp, and then there's TypeScript. And TypeScript, yeah, that is truly a legend. And such a nice guy. I you know. would think that <laughs> such a genius would be a jerk, but he's not. No, and he's <laughs> so nice. Yeah. Although, admittedly. He has a way of answering your question that lets you know he's thought about this question you're, much you're more s- than you have. You're so and right. he also knows what the next four questions are. <laughs> and has the answers. <laughs> yes. Because it, I, I appreciate his focus. Like he, he is very much on the how will developers interact with this. Super uh, smart. Super nice. Yeah. Super it's super really wonderful. Nice. Yeah. And I think that he also really – people sometimes don't you know think about language designer, but he's really – he really deeply understand the technology shift that's happening in the industry mm. because that reflects in what the developer, the type of code developer needs to write and how that's different and how your language design actually reflects those changes. Um, he's super thoughtful and really puts that very deep into his design, his work. He also really brilliantly bridged the gap between the, uh, the C-sharp community and the JavaScript community with TypeScript and, you know, so much that Angular has embraced TypeScript as the way of, uh, well, maybe not Angular, Angular developers embrace TypeScript as the way to develop. Angular itself, the Angular team uses TypeScript. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yes, and, you're yeah. right. Angular was one of the big first adopters of um, TypeScript. I remember we had the engineering manager, director of Angular on stage. Uh, at, um, at build, I think was us talking about how they, you know, how they adopted TypeScript. That was uh, very early in our open source journey, where TypeScript was open source. Uh, so that was a, a big win uh, we had way back then. But since then, you know, JavaScript has async await. How did that happen? 
Wow. <laughs> Facebook is now using TypeScript as well. It's crazy that. good. It's crazy That's cool. amazing. Yeah. If you go to any Silicon Valley companies, right? And they like to use their, you know, Google's yeah. of the world, et cetera. Sure. And so many of them are using VS Code and so many yeah. of them using TypeScript. Um, so I think, you know, I think those are truly technologies that has the broadest adoption. Well done, you. <laughs> Microsoft. That's uh, awesome. Visual Studio Code is, I think, the, the 2021 survey at Stack Overflow, most popular development tool. Like, Across the, not just in the Microsoft community, most popular development tool. It's cool. Actually, the Stack Overflow, I think they stopped asking, well, who's the most, what is the most popular? I saw it was like in 2020 or something. Because right. they, for a few years, they come as either Visual Studio, it was, you know, it was Visual Studio VS Code was the top two spot. I think they dropped the question last year. Hmm. That's funny. There's very different philosophies here. Like the studio comes from, in my mind, the rad mindset, the integrated environment for rapid development, uh, which I wonder if it, how a younger generation responds to that. I mean, we grew up with it. We've got 20 years with it plus where code, I mean, I like code. I use it for editing JSON files and for digging into HTML and things like that. Like it's, it's great for that. Uh, but it's not my development environment. But I run, I run across a group of developers who just assemble their own dev environment with Studio Code as the editor. Do you, do you, how do you guys think about that? Well, I think that you actually really nailed the core distinction that we see, you know, about how we differentiate these two products. Visual Studio is the integrated development environment. And then when we say integrated development environment, it really means that we have uh, codified a set of workflows in your, you know, in the IDE, and which makes it super easy for developers to use. But at the same time, we have codified it. Like we have, like we have programmed the workflow in. If you think about what happened, people love the F5 experience in VS, right? F5 hit right. a break, like we always demo that. And because like when you hit F5 on a, you know, Android development, Think about what actually happens behind oh, the scenes. Like it's, saving, it's saving your files. It's kind of making a build. It's like, you know, creating Android packages and deploying to an emulator, blah, 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 attaching the debuggers. Eventually, like, oh, here's a breakpoint that's set. Like, if you want to change any of these things, you're like, oh, I don't want to use this component. I want to use this other thing. I'm going to go add another build step. I want to go do something different. Like, that is really hard to grow. There's no chance that will work, right? Like, there's just... The, there's a set of miracles that happen in mobile development to make a breakpoint. Yeah, yeah. And that whole thing is programmed in, right? right. And then so I think for those scenarios, like, you know, like you're like, wow, I, do I really want to go do that? You know, change that <laughs> workflow. Uh, another good example I gave to people is say, you know, uh, some, some developers want to go directly debug a container. In order to make that fast, the way we make it is that we actually patch in the changes, your binary changes into a container, even though container is supposed to be, you know, immutable. Right. But, you know, but we're like, this is development time, it's not deployment time, so it's okay. But that's not something we'll do with Visual Studio Code because we assume that you are going to assemble your own workflow and it gives right. you the flexibility to go do that. And so it's also, and in particular in the web world, so many of things are, you can do a little command line here, you have a little tool there, you can easily stitch any workflow you want, um, you know, to resemble what you, you know, what you truly want. And that's very easily done in Visual Studio Code. So I really see like, you know, VS Code is really great, particularly in the web world. You know, a lot of these sort of like, we call this, you have this constellation of tools where I think in a, another set of development, 
where you tend to have, you know, a full experiences that's fully embodied in your IDE. And that's how the two different product actually distinct, you know, differentiate from each other. So Julia, let me give you a, a magic scenario that happened today. Um, I purchased a used Samsung Galaxy 9 off the web for like 150 bucks. And it arrived yesterday. I charged it up. I plugged it in. I turned on USB debugging mode. And I, I have this tool from a company. I think it's called Fabulatech. That uh, it's called USB for remote desktop. And so what you do is you plug in your USB devices. And when you go into remote desktop to go to an Azure VM, which I have a Windows 10, actually Windows 11 Azure VM. And uh, that's what I use for, de for development. So it passes through the USB devices that you select. And I selected this thing. And yes, it shows up in the VM. And then I ran Visual Studio 2022 Preview. And I created a new uh, uh, MAUI application, just a MAUI XAML application on the Preview. I had no setup issues, no nothing. Uh, it, it found my Android device right away. And I was able to press F5 and run it and yes it took a little bit of time but at you know five six seven minutes later i see the dot net robot on my local drive and i'm thinking this is effing magic i mean how many layers of of uh of stuff is going on here for this magic to happen it's crazy cool thank you it is crazy cool and there's many 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 layers of magic that goes on. And, you know, when something goes wrong, it takes a long time to repair that whole chain as well. Yeah. Uh, and that, that is really what I think the IDE really helps developer do is kind of having that magic. But at the same time, you know, there's a lot of usage scenarios where you want VS Code as well. Sure. Now, if you want to control that and control your paths and be specific about elements and so forth, then you use code and assemble the pipeline yourself. Sure. And if you want it to just work, but you're willing to live within the path you've picked for us, then you use Studio. Well, in this case, I really wanted to do my development in a VM in the cloud where I could go anywhere and do it. And and that's, you know, to, to build Xamarin and now Maui applications in the cloud in a VM and have it work with local devices is just stellar cool to me. Like, I, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't expect that. Not even two years ago, I wouldn't expect that. And now it's reality. And I think that one of the big things that you will see more of is, um, I think more and more developers will want their development environment in the cloud for a variety right. of reasons. I agree. Makes sense. Visual Studio as a service? I don't think it's necessarily Visual, Visual Studio as a service. We do have VS Code as a service, which now is launched as GitHub Codespaces, if you may. Right. But, you know, if you think about, you know, what developer really want, you kind of want, like, everything you can do on Windows as a developer desktop kind of yeah. show up. You want yeah. your, you know, your, your, you know, in the case of, um, uh, in the case of a, you know, a game development, you want your Adobe toolset to show up as well. Right. right. Mm -hmm. And then clearly like, you know, you want your Visual Studio toolset to show up. You want it, you know, and you want a huge beefy, you know, VM. And I think that, you know, I think that one of the things that really made that point so clear is that last year when we were talking about potentially going back to work, you know, the hybrid scenario, right. some of the says, well, I want to go to work like two days a week and work at home three days a week, right? 
And then, like, the immediate question is kind of like, where is your big, huge, beefy dev box? Yeah. <laughs> like, where is your developer setup, kind of, right? Because e- even the laptop you want for that weighs enough that it's it's an OSHA risk. Like, you're going to do damage to people's bodies <laughs> carrying around those tank laptops. <laughs> <laughs> your laptop is an OSHA risk, my friend. <laughs> I challenge you to go find a laptop that's like eight core, thirty-two gig, you know, like like you know, like if you really want. Richard and I were at an RD meeting. I can't remember when. Los Angeles. Los Angeles at a PDC regional director meeting, and he turns on his laptop, and the power goes out in Los Angeles, (laughs) and everybody looks at him, and he goes, "What?" <laughs> happens all the time. It was it was fortunate. That's like like a whole suitcase size. Oh yeah, no, yeah. The power it, it, in Los it, Angeles went out when he turned <laughs> on his computer. You know, when the power supply is big enough to kill a small animal with, and your when your laptop has legs, that's a bad sign. <laughs> gets up when your laptop has away. legs <laughs> and it has wheels as well. I'm sure. Yeah. That's like when we roll it across the airport. Uh, all right, okay, it was a coincidence, but it was funny yes. nonetheless. But it was funny. The timing was appropriate. Yes, <laughs> and we rolled with it. But I get your point. It's like if it was in the cloud, I have as much compute as I want. And my and then all I care about is I have a variety of front ends. I have a, maybe a laptop I have at work. I use my desktop machine at home. For me, product my productivity in studio is all about the screen space. You know, I have a 43-inch 4K screen, and every bit of that I can use in studio. The more lines of code I can see, the happier I am. Yeah. Uh, that, to me, makes the biggest difference. Is I, You know, I, I can't do development on a laptop because there's no screen big enough. Yeah, most of most of my devs has at least two monitors, mm-hmm. two big monitors, and then some of them has like three kind of laid out in a very specific layout. Right, yeah. like, always, you know, the monitors are you know cheaper to co-assemble, etc. But you know, your your core dev environment, you have spent time kind of you know curating, uh, and then we also want to think about how you help that curation become a standard for your project. Yeah. So if you're working team environment you know once someone has curated your environment of these are all the tools you need for this particular project it can't just become a i want a vm exactly like richard's like boom there it goes yeah that is racing for 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 a team to kind of collaborate and work on things together especially as a contractor where i'm working on a dozen different projects and uh you know i got into vms very early because you did not want to cross those things this is the development environment that this customer uses this is the development that that customer uses like but and, but you ran an expensive infrastructure to pull that off. You just pass the cost along to the customer. The idea that that would, I, I think that's super value when you start thinking about corporate environments with hundreds of custom built apps, many of which haven't been worked on for a long time, to be able to put a copy of that environment away and know that anytime you can go back and drop right into the environment that that software was built in, even if it's old. That's exactly right. And then, you know, like in the old days, it will be like, you know, a lot of developers who walk in their offices, they have like three, four, five, six different dev boxes. It was yeah. something that they have stored away. It's like, like, you know, there's just like, in the today's world, we'll be like, hmm, you know, you can create a custom VM image. Yeah. <laughs> All that, right? The first time I started using virtualization, now I can't even remember the name of the product. It might have been the VMware product. It was for te- old test Windows test environments for making sure this app ran on Win 3.1 and 95 and 98, you know, and we and you'd be able to reset back to a clean install, install the app or a clean install with the old version of the app installed and upgrade to be able to validate all those things. That's, we were worried about virtualization being fast. It wasn't fast. It was slow. 
what it was was repeatable testing processes. Julia, I have a uh, a feature request for you. Getting back to the screen space thing, you know, Richard and I both have really wide screens, but they're not really tall, right? And so, if you want to have the Visual Studio experience, you want vertical uh, space as well as horizontal space. So, what if you could split up your code window into more than one segment across 40 inches or whatever. So you have, you know, the, the, the first however many lines on the left. Then you have a middle section that has the next sort of lines. And when you scroll, all three of these things scroll together. So you're now not looking at, you know, one big vertical uh, set of code lines, but now it's spread across however many sections you want. Is that a, a desirable feature for you, Richard? That's a pretty cool idea. I mean, there's portrait-shaped monitors too, but there's a few ways. But to I use that. but I use my horizontal monitor for everything else. No, I was just gonna say a couple of things. One is that I I, I think it's very common. Most of my dev has one portrait, one horizontal. So they 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 do landscapes. So actually, they they have both monitors. But I think that, you know, like it could be, a, you know, I think there's, we have so many developers, customers out there. there I'm sure there's probably others who want to support your idea. So the way ah. I we, we want to make this kind of decisions is basically be data driven. And then, so, you know, like I think that we have capabilities in our developer um, kind of feedback channels to go put in a feature request and then people can vote on your ideas. And then if there's enough people say, oh, oh yeah, I, I want this capability and vote on it. Well, that's something we monitor very closely, and that's how we make data-driven feature decisions. I see Richard's already typing. <laughs> no, no, I, ha- I know where that is. It's the dev community for Visual Studio, right? You're making a link, aren't you? Well, I'm, I'm looking at the number one, which is Visual Studio for Linux. Oh, okay. So let's do a feature request, and let's get our listeners to you know give it a thumbs up if they want it. Absolutely. Yeah. I like that idea because I I like you have a 44 inch monitor and uh you know what i do is i make my visual studio just take up the middle of the screen because i don't like looking left and right for code lines i i like to see everything in one place but if it scrolled across three sections then i think we might have something that might be interesting yeah so julia what is next for you what's in your inbox Oh, gosh, I think that there are so many things in in my inbox. But, you know, if you think about the tremendous opportunity that we have, and that's the thing really I'm most excited about. Um, If I think about, you know, the incredible assets that we have, you know, between Visual Studio Code and and GitHub uh, and the number of developers that we touch with our product. And, you know, so for me, the most important thing is that we continue to build product that developer love to use. And we continue to increase our touch, you know, our ability to get more developers to use our product and services. Um, fundamentally, that's what you know, gives us excitement and energy. And that's what we're here for, is to make sure that you know, any developers and any development team can use any programming language uh, and develop any application they want from anywhere and collaborate easily and effect- effectively. The dream is real, people. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Julia. It's been a pleasure talking to you, as it always is. So great seeing you both, and have a great weekend. 
You too. And come back in another five years and keep us uh, keep us up to date as to what happens in Visual Studio Land. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Plop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got transmitter bands by the FCC. Yes, I'm a talk.